Well, if you haven't picked up on the theme this morning, you, know, you would be pretty hard-pressed not to have been doing the, that theme coming through with music and our missions moment. Um, and as you know, we've been doing the 40 days of prayer, and so part of that is obviously centered around the gospel and sharing that, and evangelism is part of that. Um, it's one of those things that we identify often as we say, well, we don't, I don't have the gift of evangelism, Right? And again, I struggle with that because I don't see in Scripture where we necessarily have a gift of evangelism. I see the command that we are to evangelize. And it's a command for all of us. So it's not just, the burden is not just on a person or a person with a gift. We're all responsible for that. And so that laid out, um, if you're relying on Pastor Charlie to evangelize for a Point Way Church, Yes, he's going to do some of that, but um, it's going to have very little effect. It's going to have very little impact. It is going to take all of us. In fact, our elders meeting this week, we actually identified that as one of our not-so-strong points. We're working through a, a study together with the elders as the nine marks of a healthy church, and one of them is on the gospel. And at best, we rated ourselves as a B as far as sharing the gospel even on a Sunday morning or explaining how that is. And we've set that as one of the things that we want to work on as a goal for us as not only elders, but for our church with body this year. And so full disclosure, I'm just opening it up and letting you know where we're at as a church with that and how we can do that. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar passage, uh, one that I've preached on uh, numerous times. Um, I think I've even preached on it once here. But with all things, we need that reminder. Oh, guys are already ahead of me. Yeah, John chapter 4. It's up there. And it's the story of the Samaritan woman and uh, Jesus' interaction with her. And so familiar, but yet there's so much to glean from it and so much for us to learn uh, from this same passage. And so the title of today's message, very simply, is to reach out. Right in the, the reach out. Jesus um, here, we'll get some of the background right in the, the chapter itself, but Jesus is here on earth. He's doing his ministry. He's walking with his disciples at this point, and there's mounting pressure on him. Remember, the religious rulers didn't like having competition, for lack of a better term. And Jesus is becoming more and more of a threat to them and their way of living. And so there's that constant tension that's going on. And we see that here in this passage. But yet, Jesus doesn't forget his mission. And so, let's dive in here on chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Just a pause there. Again, it kind of sets us up and gives us some of that background. Interestingly enough, the, the Pharisees thought Jesus was doing more than John the Baptist. And the interesting part is they didn't like John the Baptist either. They weren't crazy about John the Baptist's ministry, but yet they were more concerned about Jesus and they were actually causing strife between these two or trying to cause strife between John the Baptist's disciples and Jesus' disciples, right? Power struggle between these two. There was no struggle there, but there was the rumors, there were the lies, there was the distrust. 
trying to cause division, right? So we see that. And nothing new, right? I mean, do we not see that today? Is that not happening in our culture today with leaders and uh, division and strife? Even among two friends, two people that knew each other. Again, the missions were not in competition. The, the ministries were not in competition. But yet there was division and there was pressure from the Pharisees. And some would say, well, why should Jesus have to leave? Right? He's Jesus. Why? I mean, his ministry is going fine and there's no problem with John. Why does he? Jesus was on a time schedule. He was following his father's lead. Great example for us, right? We, we need to be in step with what God is showing us. We need to be in step with what he is leading. And even though maybe logically it seemed like, well, Jesus should have stayed there, or maybe he should have gone and argued out his case before the Pharisees and said, hey, no, no, we're, we're not in competition here. We have two separate messages, and you know, I'm not worried about who's baptizing who. No, Jesus didn't do that. He just quietly leaves. Again, upon God's leading, he goes, and he heads towards Galilee. He's going to his next place, the next stop in that journey in that area. Verse 4, says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samir called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from his journey. He sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, another couple of things here. Uh, translation, lose a little bit, but it says that he had to go through Samaria. Well, Jewish culture, Jew, even if you had to go, you didn't go to Samaria. If you were a Jew, you would literally walk all the way around the area of Samaria. You would avoid it. Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. They, they hated each other. So they would literally walk as far, say, west, then go north, and then go back east to avoid that whole area. Talk about walking on the other side of the street. They would just literally travel much further. And again, the travel was hard. Travel was not easy. But they would avoid going through Samaria. No self-respecting Jew would go into, knowingly into Samaria. Yet Jesus says, it, I must go. Right? In some translation, I had to go through there. Right? Again, Jesus is not following the logical term of man. He's following what God asked him to do. He's going out of his way in many instances here to go to Samaria. Again, there's nothing special there other than a people group. It's an area. Today it would be like going into a hard situation or a, a place where there was a lot of crime, a lot of things going on. You wouldn't be welcome there. You'd be out of place. Our missionaries face this on a regular basis. So he goes there. And again, we also see that Jesus here is still a man, right? right? He's tired and he's thirsty right? from his journey. He's been walking. Now, sometimes we, we lose that. We always say, well, you know, Jesus, yes, fully God, fully man. He had both, but he had that human body. He had those restraints. He knows what it's like to be human. I don't know about you, but I can get tired pretty quick, and especially if, if I'm walking, and again, walking a great distance, yeah. And the sixth hour here is around noontime. 
So he, and again, he's not packing food. We, we know that from the scripture's going to tell us in a little bit here. He doesn't have water with him. He's just basically walking. And so, and it's noontime and it's probably warm. It's probably hot out. And so he stops. He stops at this well. And guess who's there? It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Mine has a footnote here. It says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that sits and who here it is that would ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, we see that tension. We see that not only is Jews and Samaritans don't get along, but especially a Jewish man would not approach a Samaritan woman and ask for something. It wasn't culturally correct. It would be looked down upon. It would, be looked, it would cause question to Jesus' character, to be hanging out with this woman. Many scholars believe, too, the fact that it's around noontime, that she was there to avoid anyone. Right? That's not the normal time to go get water. All right? The ladies typically would get up in the morning, first thing, after they had prepared the, the meal, got the men off to work, they would go and then go to the watering hole or to the well, get their water, hang out, spend some time. I'm sure, now I'm going to step out on some toes here maybe, but <laughs> ladies gathering together probably did some fellowship. They probably did some talking, right? I think that's where we got the hanging around the water cool. You've got to be a certain age to know what that means, but hanging around the water. They would hang around the well and they would talk. Now, and I'm sure not all of that talk was good talk right? either. And I'm not picking on ladies because you know what? I've been around enough water coolers with guys. It doesn't always go well there either. But they would talk. They would interact. They would spend time together before they would go back and do whatever else they had to do, prepare meals, clothing, kids, all those things that typically took place. So the fact that she's there at noon and she's avoiding other women kind of gives you an indication that she maybe has something to hide or she's not very uh, acclimated socially. I'm sure when Jesus, when she sees Jesus, she's like, oh man, this is not what I wanted, right? She probably just wanted to get her water, get into the question, which is it, and go home quickly. And so Jesus asks the question, which is interesting. Obviously, you're at a well, right? So, hey, can I have some water? Jesus doesn't have those things. He doesn't have a jar with them that they would tie a rope and lower it down and bring it back up. And she says, you have nothing. Look at Jesus' response. I love this response. It's, it's so applicable to today in many ways. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for the drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. He takes a physical thing like water, very simple, and turns it into a spiritual living water, life, life-sustaining, right? 
He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't give her a hard time. He doesn't order her to get him water. He takes the conversation and he transitions right into spiritual. I actually was at LAPS this week and they just got through an evangelism class and they said, you know what, we're, we're not sure about this class and Charlie, we want you to come in and evaluate it. And I sat down with two of the leaders at LAPS and Lakes Area Pregnancy Center and um, we were looking through it and that was their number one struggle. Is how do you go from a conversation from physical to spiritual? And I wish I could tell you, hey, you do step one, step two, step three. There's not a magic formula. But I can tell you from Scripture, pick something in that conversation and make the bridge. Holy Spirit will lead you. Holy Spirit will guide you. But you've got to be open to it. What does he want to jump off from? Again, it may be something about ourselves. It may be just a situation that you're looking at. But take something and transition. Believers, let them know that you have faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you have to launch into the, the fourfold gospel or the, 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 the Romans road or anything like that. Take the conversation as your east to one notch, one spiritual step at a time. That's what Jesus does here. He just takes the water and he says, hey, how about give you living water? If you knew who it was, right? He's helping her identify who he is. He's also drawing that common ground with her. He's meeting her right where she's at. Verse 11 says, Sir, the woman, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons, his flocks, and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become to him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Right? It's an overflow. It's just in a response to the situation. And again, he, by the conversation, he now identifies that she does have some background. Right? She at least knows the history. She knows whose well this was. Jacob, right? Israel. There's some identification there. There's some some history that Jesus has learned. Right? Are you greater than the one that dug the well? Again, a well in those days was was a valuable thing. Not only was it a guy, but a lot of people depended on that. In fact, you lived in proximity to where a well was, or a river, or a lake, or even the sea, because you needed that to sustain you. And so proximity to that. And so it was very important, right? Again, as believers, we can say, is Jesus very important? Yeah. So it's an easy tie-in at this point. But Jesus is, is pulling her out a little bit more information all the time. And then he takes again the physical and he says, hey, you're going to thirst again, right? You know, whatever's in that jar is going to get empty, right? We're going to need more water. Get thirsty over and over again. It's a repetitive thing. You know, a lot of similarities to our spiritual life, right? We can get dry spiritually, and we need that constant filling. In fact, we need to be filled so much that it overflows. 
And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. And he's talking about it wells up in you. It leads to eternal life. Again, he's speaking to someone who doesn't believe at this point. And so he's showing himself, he's revealing himself, but he's also revealing the plan of God. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He's got her wanting. He's got her thinking about this living water. You know, logically, hey, this would be great. I wouldn't have to come here. I wouldn't have to come to this well and face these ladies day in and day out and probably face the ridicule. I'd have something that nobody else has. And then Jesus asks the next question. Go get your husband. Oh. Now he's just exposed her. He's just opened up her heart a little bit and said, hey, you've got a problem in your life. Again, he's not condemning her, but he asks the question to open up her heart. I've seen God do that more than often when sharing with someone, and God will reveal something in someone that I didn't know. It. I, I had no clue. I didn't know where the conversation was going to go. But again, because you're willing to listen or willing to take a little bit of a step, God will give you the word sometimes. And people will just open up their heart. They'll open up your hurts. I had a conversation again this week with a, a lady that I know very well, and I found out something this week that I've never known before, and I found out that she had a past hurt that it still bothered her today. And she's a lady around my age, and something that happened in her childhood is still affecting her. And it's still raw, and it's still hurt. And really, her real struggle was unforgiveness. And again, conversation was in that direction at all. But again, the longer you stay engaged, the more you can open up someone's heart, they'll reveal things. And you see that here. She reveals the fact that she's now living with someone who's not her husband. And in that day, that was a huge problem. That was a sin issue. Guess what? It's still a sin issue. It's still a problem today. There's no getting around it. But again, he's trying to get her to realize her need. Her need for something. And she's obviously not found that need to be fulfilled by men. Right? She's had plenty of men in her life, but those have not sustained her, have not helped her. In fact, she hasn't even committed to this one. She's just living with him. But yet, she still wants, and she's still looking. And now Jesus has told her, and she says, it is quite true. You've told me. You, you know where I'm at, yet you're still offering something. So now she tries to identify him. Verse 19 says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship 
the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth and that they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a lot there to unpack, and again, I would encourage you to go back and read it this week. But she identifies him, okay, he knows something about me, he must be a prophet. It's a true statement. Jesus is a prophet, but he's not just only a prophet. So interestingly, now she's been revealed, her heart's been opened, she's found out that she has many men in her life, and she kind of throws up a wall here, right? Ah, you Jews, she pulls out the, the race card and says, hey, you Jews say, you know, we have to go to Jerusalem, but us Samaritans here, and so, and Jesus doesn't argue the fact, you're right, Jerusalem is, salvation comes from the Jews, but does he let her get off on the excuse? He doesn't ignore it. He just takes what she said and says, there's a time coming, though, where you're not going to be restricted. You're not going to be able to use that excuse anymore. Right? Again, it's for a Samaritan to go into Jerusalem would be hardshipped. Uh, there wasn't even really a place for them. They were an outcast. They wouldn't be allowed into certain areas. So again, it wasn't really an option for them to go to Jerusalem. Not a, a viable one. So they would just worship in their own place. She said, that's not the point. The place is not what I'm looking for. It's the heart, the heart of worship. I could do a whole series on that. I've actually done a message jumping off of that. I'm holding myself accountable this morning. I'm not going to do that. But there is a lot to that with about being a true worshiper in the heart of worship, not being the place, but being in the right spirit, in the right heart, the right frame of mind. Um, I'll let you in a little hint. I can't help myself a little bit, but... Coming here on a Sunday morning, you need to be prepared to worship, irregardless of the music, irregardless of the message, irregardless of anything else, or who's even here. It's an internal heart preparation to come and worship. All right, I want to get out of that. There's a whole message there, I'm telling you. All right, verse 25. Her response. I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. So this woman had some knowledge. She had enough spiritual background to know that there was someone that was coming. Right? She wasn't void. She wasn't ignorant. She, she, knew, she knew that there was this Messiah that was coming. Now, I'm sure she didn't have a full understanding. I mean, no one in that day really had an understanding of Jesus' full scope. Even his disciples were baffled many times. But she had a good base. She had an understanding that, hey, there is going to be someone that's going to come and set things right. And he's going to explain it to us. He's going to be the one that delivers us. And then Jesus finally, I like to say, he, he hits it. He hits it out of the park. I who speak am he, right? Again, if this was us, it would be, this would be the point where we could share the gospel, 
right? If we're talking with someone, that would be the, the hidden, hey, this is the reason I have peace. Or this is the reason I can forgive someone. Or this is the reason that I even go on a Sunday morning to a church worship service. Or this is why I believe. You, you can jump off of here. You can see any conversation almost can jump off from this point. Sometimes it takes, but you got to get to that point. And sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's multiple conversations, right? If Barna's anywhere close, I mean, this is a longstanding statistic, and I haven't heard it change, but it says the average Christian has to hear the gospel seven times before they accept. That's the average. So there's some of you that probably heard it more than seven, right? And again, a lot of times we don't even have ears to hear. If you can think back before you became a believer, right? Hear it over and over again, but it, heart's not lined up. It doesn't click yet. You're not ready to receive that gift. So it may take a, a while with someone. It may take a, a couple of times. It may take multiple conversations. But at some point, you need to get to that point where you speak those words. And there's a whole host of reasons why we don't do that. But on with the story. Verse 27. It says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Right? Again, I told you, there's, it's not usual. It's not the norm. His disciples are probably questioning. They are questioning. But even in their minds, they're probably going further. All right, he's doing something that we wouldn't do. He's talking to a lady that he shouldn't be talking to. I'm sure there was a lot of questions. How can he be doing this? Or what's transpired here while we've been gone? We just left him for a little while to go get some food. And here he is talking with a Samaritan woman. Interesting that they don't voice it. Jesus knows they're questioning, but he, he lets them hang there for a little bit. And then verse 28, her response. I love how the details come out here. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Stop right there. Again, there's a lot there. What was the reason the woman went to the well in the first place? To get water, right? I'm not very bright, but I just read that she left her water jug there. Isn't that interesting? That little detail? A couple of reasons that, that probably took place. One, she was so excited that she couldn't, just totally forgot about it. It's a possibility. I like to think that the, the fact that the physical water is no longer important to her. And she knew she was coming back. Right? This wasn't a one-and-done encounter. She, she, she just wanted to go get some more people before she came back. She didn't get the water later. That's, not, that's no longer, that's kind of fell by the wayside. Either one's a possibility. But I just love that little detail that's in there, that she left her water jug there. And she starts telling people. Remember at the beginning of the story, right? This, this woman, I, I, my most scholars and I agree with it as well, she's not thought well of in the, the area, in the town. Right? She, she went there at noon to avoid people. Now she's going back and she's telling them 
about this man that she met, right? She's also asking more questions, right? She's even saying, hey, could this be Christ? She's not, still not quite sure yet, right? She still wants verification. She's asking for help. A change already is taking place. It's, it's not there yet. She's not fully over on that side yet, but she is headed in that direction. And she's willing to put herself out there and ask the questions and say, hey, come listen for yourself. Come find out. He told me everything. He, he, he knew my life before I even told him. It's the story goes back to the well, right, with his disciples. Verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged the rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone ever brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, we see that example, right? Even with his disciples, you know, they spent time with him. They've seen miracles at this point, but they're still kind of hung up on the physical. And once again, Jesus in his patient way takes them from the physical, brings them to the spiritual, Right? Jesus is saying, hey, right, this moment, this is more important. The spiritual work is more important than the physical food. He's given them the lesson firsthand. Right? They don't know all the details about the water yet in that interaction, so he's going to give them a lesson on their own. I always love Jesus teaches on multiple levels at multiple times. I wish I could do that. I'm not quite gifted enough to do that, but he can do that. And so he's got a lesson here for his disciples as well. And we see that he's following the work of his Father. He's listening to God the Father and staying in step. So then he gives them an object lesson. He gives them a, another visual here. I'm not saying the disciples were um, slow, but they needed a lot of help, a lot of teaching. Um, I can identify with that. Maybe because some of them were fishermen. I don't know. I, just, I thought about that this week. That, that might be in there as well. But verse 35 do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Now even the reaper draws his wages and now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that even the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, says, thus this saying, one sows and one reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I've heard this scripture used many times, and you've got to be careful, because if you pull it out of context, it doesn't work well. But think about it. The disciples are there. There's a little bit of time that's going on. They've had this conversation. But what was also taking place at the same time? The Samaritan woman was going right to get people. So if the timing's right here and you're looking at it, as he's telling them this story, people are coming out of the village. People are coming, he, see them coming towards them. Again, I read ahead a little bit, but many of them are going to come to know. He's, he's saying, hey, they're ready, they're ripe. They're ripe to become believers. And I can see him coming. And he's even saying, you didn't do the work, right? 
Disciples didn't go in to the village and tell them that Jesus was out there at the well. Who was the one that went and did the work? Right? The Samaritan woman. She's the one. She's the one that gathered them and brought them out. And again, obviously, Jesus starts this whole process. So he says, the harvest. She's going to be there, right? The the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. She's going to be there. She's going to be part of this movement that takes place in Samaria. It's an awesome response to it. It's a great object lesson for his disciples, right? And later on, they're going to need that lesson because they're going to have to go do some hard sowing in the future. And I know this to be true, and hopefully you know this to be true in your own life. Just because you sow you don't always reap. Remember what I told you about the seven times? You know, everyone likes to be number seven, right? And I say that jokingly, right? You want to be the one that leads that person to Christ. But you know what? There needs to be a number one, a number two, a number three, number four, number five, number six. And then there's number seven. And as we know, sometimes it's eight, nine, ten, and so on. They are all important. They are all needed. So whatever number it is that that's, that person's hearing the gospel and whoever's sharing it, but here they're going to get to see it all in the same time, in real time. And God sometimes allows that. He'll allow us to, to not only share the gospel, but we are that number seven, and we get to see that person come to Christ. But it's not often. But our responsibility is to share. Verse 39. I'll wrap this up here, the end of this story. It says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything I ever did. Right? She said that. So when the Samaritan came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Again, it pulls it all back together, and it, it wraps it around, right? Yes, the woman went out. She told them. She got them to come, and then they came, and they convinced Jesus to stay two more days. Remember what I told you to begin the story, right? Samaria was not a place that you hung out in. It was, they would avoid it. They wouldn't even go there. So the fact that he stays two more days shows that Jesus cares very much for these lost people. And even though culturally people hated them, Jesus loved them. It's a good reminder for us too, right? When we have certain folks that we say, well, I can't go to them. I can't understand them. I can't. It might be a tough situation. It kind of spurs me on. It kind of, for me, it kind of gives me a, who's the group of people that I might shy away from? Who is someone that I might not reach out to and share the good news? Right? And again, the woman has her part here, but it's not the final part. Right? right? The woman shared, she shared what was going on, but they went and heard Jesus firsthand and they said, you know what? It's great that you believe, and, and, and we're glad for that, but now we believe not on your testimony, but on Jesus' testimony. And I take from that is, sometimes I think we put pressure on ourselves that it's all 
on us to make sure someone gets saved. I don't find that to be true. I've looked at it many times in different missionaries and through all the New Testament. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on God. I mean, he's the one that does it. He's the one that did all the work. Our obedience is just sharing. Just sharing. The results are not up to us. So many times I've heard, well, I just don't know how to put it into words, or I just don't know. Share your own story. Share how you came to Christ. The formula is not the, the key, but the sharing is the key. Being obedient to that, being open to that. And so hopefully, with this story this morning, it gives you hope and gives you encouragement. I also want to challenge you this week. And probably, if you prayed the prayer earlier, you probably had someone in mind. Maybe it's someone you work with, someone that you have a friendship with. Maybe it's a family member. Those can be tough. But I want to challenge this week. Look for an opportunity this week to talk with them, to go from physical to spiritual. They may be open this week. Encourage you to pray about it. Continue, you know, ask God to give you the right words. But if God's given you someone this morning, don't let this week go by. Go to them. Reach out to them. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for our salvation, Lord. We thank you that you were willing to die on the cross for our sins. That you are the true Savior. And that you rose again and gave us eternal life in you. Lord, may we reach out this week to that person you've laid on our hearts. Or maybe, Lord, we don't have someone on our hearts, Lord, and you're going to give us that opportunity this week. Help us to be faithful to that. Help us to remember those words, Lord. Give us the right words to speak. Lord, may we be a good testimony and a witness of you and the transforming life that you make and do in us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.